to this episode of Rewired Podcast. I'm Bailey. And I'm Kelly. And today we're really excited because we have a guest joining us, Huli Dill McCallum, who plays Naaman Bryce on The Wire. Yeah. Hey, y'all. <laughs> um, Thank you so much for joining us, Hulido. Go ahead, Kel. I was just going to say thank you as well. And we've kind of gotten this um, this together by interacting with you on Twitter. And we joined the, the Wire Watch Party Live that you've been hosting, and it's been great fun. So maybe you could start, just tell us what kind of gave you that idea to host a watch party um, during these times right now. Yeah, uh, first off, thank you for having me. I'm really appreciative of being on your, your platform. And thank you also for creating the platform, because I've heard uh, so many people uh, talk about what you all are doing and how great the podcast is. So I'm really, I'm really grateful to be here. Um, oh, and yeah, so I created, I created the, uh, you know, the watch party solely based on the fact that number one, I wanted to uh, give back during this tough time. I, I'm, I'm clear that a lot of people are going through a lot of rough times right now. Uh, a lot of people are uncertain about their future. And I know that I read a quote where they said, it uh during rough times creatives have to create right because without the you know entertainment a lot of people will feel lost and i I, w- I just was looking at what way can i give back to people and which way could i give some people just some joy throughout this time and uh and also you know when the wire was out we didn't have social media for the most part you know we had myspace but <laughs> you know we didn't have the the platforms that you know all these other tv shows have now to really connect with their people or to just hear their thoughts or hear their opinions of the show or just to watch together so i thought you know how cool would it be to you know create this wire watch party and and watch all the episodes with with supporters and loved ones and friends and family and it's been amazing i i i was nervous at first uh about like how could could i possibly you know, do two episodes a day and when people come back and, you know, maybe it'd be different people every time. And, but it's really been from day one, a connection, a community, we've built like something really beautiful. And today uh, is the first time all four of the boys will be, we, we're starting season four and it'll be the first time all four of the boys of the summer will be together and, uh, and, and watch the episode together. And we haven't been in a room together and over 10 years, all four of us. So it's oh, going to be wow. really special. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be so amazing. I'm, I'm definitely tuning in tonight. I'm really excited. Um, nice. I think season four was such a great season too. So it'll be wonderful to hear what your perspectives are on it. Yeah. I'm super nervous. Uh, I, I do not watch myself uh, often or, or at all for the most part. Uh, I have not seen the season four in its entirety entirety in maybe like six years so uh i was just telling the the chat yesterday like you know season four i don't have a lot of home videos of myself or none for the most part so watching my stuff back like especially season four the wire is like watching your childhood again you know so it's really nerve-wracking i feel i I was saying on twitter last night it feels like the night before it premiered on hbo (laughs) like (laughs) originally because it's it's you know but uh it's cool i I can't wait i'm excited guys we're we're excited to be back together and even though it's a virtual room 
uh, we're excited to like be together and enjoy each other's company again because we always have a good time. We are really excited too to join. And the four of you, I mean, on screen, you had such sort of great chemistry together and it seemed like you were just truly friends. Um, what was the experience like of kind of filming together and spending all that time together and and uh, developing the characters alongside one another? Oh man, it was a it was a journey. It was a journey. So going into it, I had no I knew Tristan Wilde's uh he was a, a guest star on a TV series, a mini series that I was the lead of prior to the wire a few years back. So going into it, he and I had a really cool relationship. Um, and then I met Maestro and Jermaine during the audition process. Um, so I got the role. I was the first kid to get a role on the show. And then they sent me out to Baltimore to kind of screen test with the rest of the, with a bunch of other kids. Um, so at first meeting each other, it was, of course, it's like the first day of school. You know, you never really know the person's personality. You don't know their likes, their dislikes. So it was, we had, it took some time for us to kind of create a, a bond. Um, but HBO and David Simon, excuse me, not HBO, David Simon and Ed Burns and also Nina Noble, the producer, they were very adamant that, that we didn't fake it. So they put us together you know, a few months before we even started shooting in the uh, series. And uh, they also paired us with uh, Robert Chu, who played Proposition Joe, because at the time he was a really big acting coach out in Baltimore. So a lot of the kids who, who are on the season four as like maybe extras or, you know, day players, they came from his school, right? So he they paired us up with him and and he supported us with you know really getting deep into the character and getting deep into like what it means to be from Baltimore what it means to be these characters we were young and you know fairly good but I think Robert True took us to the next level before we started shooting as far as acting and then once we got together I mean it probably only took about two weeks for us to kind of create that true bond and it was like I always say it was like my f- favorite summer camp um we had a ball I mean I don't know I, I you know prayer prayers up and you know to to uh the cast to the cast and crew for dealing with us for for a year because it was nuts like we we had a blast and it's a moment I'll never forget because we created a brotherhood it's it's sort of like when you see somebody from you know, high school and that you were really close with and you may not speak to them every day, but every time you see them, you know, you shared an experience together that nobody else can say they shared. Um, and every time we see each other, it's love, you know, I still speak to probably all three of them at least once a month, you know, and that's the bond that we've created. And it's, it was, it was a blast though. That's amazing. Well, I'm really excited then to join tonight and and be part of that uh, bond and chemistry yeah. that you have. Um, so I think yeah, uh, stories, I'm sure, because we yeah. this is the first time we're even because even when we see each other, we don't talk about the show. Perhaps I mean, so this is the first time we're like going to be with each other and then talking about these moments. So it sh- you should be in for a treat. That's amazing. Well, and when you first got the script and were introduced to the character of Naimond, um, how did you connect with him? What did, did his story resonate with you? Or um, what were some of your thoughts about Naimond as a character? 
Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm from the projects in Brooklyn. Um, so this story isn't unfamiliar to me. The if it may not be my personal experience, but I know so many namens from where I grew up. You know, I know so many, so many young kids who had no choice but to you know dive into the drug world. And so I really took all the ex- the history, you know, and knowledge I have from like just living in, you know in the projects, living in the hood. And I, 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 I brought that into Naaman. Um, you know, I understood Naaman, right? There's a lot of people who, who they may have, they may have their thoughts and opinions about Naaman's, but one thing I always understood about Naaman was that he's just a kid, right? And when you're a kid, you're, you don't often make the best decisions in life. And you and what I noticed about Naaman from the very jump and what Robert Chu really dug into me was that Naaman number one, just wanted to be accepted and Naaman also just wanted to be a kid, you know? And because I I saw the innocence in Naaman, I was able to have some, you know, some, some empathy for Naaman. And I think that is why the character turned out to be what it was because regardless, yeah, he was, he, you know, he made some, stupid decisions and you know he was a he was a jerk right <laughs> especially very early on with dookie but at the same time he was he was a kid man naming when y'all met him was probably 14 15 years old you know and how often are 14 15 year olds out here being the most upstanding citizens it's not for in the most part especially if you grew up in in you know the hood it's not Likely, so I understood Naaman and David Simon. I think did and Ed Burns did a heck of a job at creating Naaman. And I, I just I had I didn't have that much work to do because it was already on the page when I got there. You know what I mean? All I had to do was just tap into what they were trying to you know give off of the character. Well, and as yeah. you just alluded to, it's kind of like Naaman is on this um, threshold of adulthood versus staying a kid and kind of caught in this battle between the two and, you know, wanting to in some ways live up to the legacy of his dad, uh, who's weeping and Naaman ends up having a really great ending as far as characters in the wire. So do you think his story kind of gives a sense of hope throughout the series or, or what do you think the story of Naaman symbolizes within the whole series itself? Yeah, um, yeah, I think I think that was the that was the plan, right? To create some type of hope, right? Because if you look at each kid, it breaks your heart to just see where what they've become, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I think I was really proud to say that even within the chaos, even within all the you know the angst that these kids go through, some of them they just they they get loved in the right way to just have to maybe get out right and i think that's all it was especially as an adult looking back on the character i realized the reason Naaman made it out it wasn't because anything he chose to do per se it's because someone loved him enough to not not give up on him right whether it have been bunny whether it was his dad who made the decision to say listen this man said my son could be anything he damn well please right Naaman was loved a specific way that I think kids need, right? Sometimes these kids just need somebody to not give up on them. And I, it's funny, rewatching this uh, first three seasons, I realized when Cuddy 
is first trying to, you know, get his gym started and he goes to the boxing ring and he's like, these kids, man, they, they're a lot, you know, they curse me out. They call me everything under the sun. The, the, the boxing trainer says to him, man, you can't give up. They're, they're, they're too used to people giving up on them. You know, and I think that's what it was for Naaman. And I think if not hope, I think what we was trying to illustrate was that you have to, you have to love these kids, man. Sometimes even through their BS, because that's all they have. And they're, if they're so used to people giving up on them, there is no hope. You know what I mean? And I'm grateful for the bunnies on the planet that are really trying to, you know, be with these kids in a specific way because they actually need it. And I was just grateful that Naaman, you know, we show us, we we showed just a glimmer of hope, and uh, I'm glad it was through Naaman. Yeah, well, among the four boys of summer, you really have um, kind of the only happy ending, you might say. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, man, it's sad. I'm like so nervous to rewatch this season four because, it's especially five, right? Because that's when we see the kind of end of the other two characters. But uh, I mean, all of us for the most part. But um, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's sad, man. What the world can possibly create, right? Because I don't believe that these kids made a decision early on that I want to be a murderer, I want to be a killer, I want to be an addict, right? I think very early on the world decided for them this is what you'll be with you know with lack of resources, with lack of you know compassion, with lack of understanding, the world can sometimes create for their benefit, right? what they want us children to be, especially young black boys in Baltimore, right? Or in these inner mm-hmm. cities, they can create what they want for you to be and give you no other choice. And I understanding that everybody has a choice. Sometimes these kids, they, they go where they, what their environment is. They go, they, they follow the leads of these adults, man. And sometimes the adults do not do a good job at, you know, leading the children, to the promised land, you know, so it's, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Yeah. It makes me think of um, the scene where Naaman is, is, I guess like packing vials and then his mom, who is maybe one of the most unlikable characters on <laughs> him, comes sure. in and is so upset that he's doing it. And he, like there's video games in the background and you can really see that, that push pull between childhood and adulthood for Naaman. And, yeah. Um, definitely his mom is is one of the drivers of that shift, yeah. uh, I guess, for him. Yeah. And it's so sad that everybody hates Delanda uh, so much <laughs> because Sandy, I mean, if you ever, if you join this week, she's going to jump on. She's one of the nicest women on the planet. Like when oh, I yeah. say on the planet, she's such a sweet lady. I don't know if y'all talked to her yet, but she, if you, you need to, but, uh, so I just hate, it's so weird. Even with Jamie Hector, right? I had Marlo on yesterday and everybody's like, he's different. And I'm like, yo, these are really good actors. They are good actors. <laughs> I think for me, Jamie Hector, I was able to like open my mind to a new, uh, side of him when he was on, um, I think it was the layover with Anthony Bourdain when he did the Brooklyn episode. And oh, Jamie. nice. Like okay, Marlo. Yes. <laughs> I, how do you how do you how do you show people you're a different character? Like you're not Marlo. Yeah. He's like, I just smile. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Um, and so of course, all wonderful actors, but there's also such a sense of authenticity. And do you think 
filming in Baltimore, finding a lot of crew from Baltimore adds to that? And, and how do you foster that when you're not necessarily local to Baltimore? Yeah. Uh, really I, a, it's a series about the city as a character. So, mm-hmm. so where does that come from? Yeah, I, I think David Simon was very true to his story. He was very true to his love for Baltimore. Um, and because he had a very specific love for Baltimore, he made sure that it, it got represented well. And that's why he had people like Robert Chu be with us. That's why he almost 80%, 70% of the cast are locals, right? Or people that... And, I, and it's also a huge shout out to Pat Moran, the casting director out there in Baltimore, because she was able to find... There's some brilliant actors in Baltimore, you know what I mean? Um, you know, Baltimore School of the Arts have, you know, created some of the most talented actors in the world. Um, so I'm, I'm, David was just very adamant that, he, you know, we, they gave people a shot, you know, and I, it was easy for us to kind of acclimate ourselves into that world because the world, the Baltimore people are some of the sweetest people I've ever met in my life as well. They let opened us, opened their arms up to us with, with love. And right. It's, it's sometimes hard for people to see that or think that's possible because of the depiction that people have of Baltimore. But, you know, Baltimore people are also people who just ran out of, they, they don't have the resources and they don't have the things that other big cities have to kind of, you know, stay on the straight and narrow at times, right? So there are people who who are just trying to survive. And I think David wanted to make sure that he gave them an opportunity. He he was very adamant that we don't just shoot in your neighborhoods or just take over your streets. We I'm also going to give opportunities, right? So there, I remember vividly there would be people on set because every day, remember, we're shooting, and especially when we're on location, we're shooting uh in the middle of these neighborhoods right so there we're shooting also at times in the middle of the drug trade right i remember there being times where the drug dealers could not sell drugs for those specific hours that we would be on set and there would be times where david would say hey you, you want to be in it all right come on so make sure or like hey do you want to be security for the day okay just make sure nobody drives down this way or right and he had a relationship <laughs> right he had a relationship with the town and the city like no other, he still lives there, right? And that's 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 just David, man. He's Baltimore through and through. The very first audition I went on, I just remember walking in, and he just had this bright purple Ravens jersey on, and I was like, "Oh shit, I'm scared." <laughs> <laughs> but that's David, man. He's Baltimore through and through. Well, and there was a little bit of pushback from the city, kind of in the early seasons, about how the. Yeah city of Baltimore was depicted and and if it was um, not a very flattering portrait because it was so unflinching in a lot of ways. Um, But do you feel like the truthfulness of it is kind of more um, like a love letter in some ways? Like it doesn't seem like uh, David Simon in any way would be derisive to Baltimore. Yeah, not at all. I think think it's for sure a love letter. I think if you don't watch, I think most of the people who complained about the show probably didn't truly watch the show, right? Mm-hmm. I think the moment you start to watch the show, it's like how everyone falls in love with Bubbles by episode two of season one, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah we. if you're going to tell the story about the drug trade, you have to tell the truth in order for it to be authentic, right? And he also gave a voice to those people who are voiceless. I mean, 
there's addicts that I like there's watching the show and and not one point especially during this new rewatch that I thought oh shit bubbles is an addict <laughs> I looked mm-hmm. at him as a human being from the very first episode and understood and get, had empathy for him uh as well as the drug dealers I I mean you know Wallace right was a kid he was a drug dealer as well but I still cried when he died during this rewatch as if it was the first mm-hmm. time I seen it right um Avon just went to jail at the end of season three and I still got emotional around it because yeah he was a ruthless drug lord drug kingpin but at the same time he was a man and he had a cold and I think a lot of people get to see why the why behind a lot of the choices these folks have whether it be a Omar who's right like this you know, Robin Hood kind of savior or, you know, or Brother Muzon even, right? Or or Stringer Bell, right? We get to see the why behind this. And I think if people truly gave the why a real watch, they would understand that it's a love letter. Like you said, it's, it's, it's simply David Simon's th- thank you to Baltimore and fuck you to the bosses. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So... You named some of your um, characters that have jumped out to you as you're watching it, but do you have any other sort of favorite character arcs that have come to you as you've been rewatching them? Yeah, um, right now, I mean, of course, the Avons and the Bubbles, but I, what a character that I've really been keeping my eye on was Presbo. <laughs> yeah, oh, uh, Presbolewski. Yeah, such a great arc, man. Especially from like that episode one, two, where he's just this asshole of a cop that is just mm-hmm. trying to be down and, you know, racist, probably also there's some racism in there. And then you mm-hmm. see that he just, you know, he finds he finds a home at first and, you know, with Lester, you know, really going behind the numbers and doing the technology work of, you know, what they do. And then that is stripped away from him because he still makes decisions that are kind of rash and, you know, he's on automatic. And then he realizes maybe this isn't for me, man. And then he goes into the school system and we see what he does there. He He's actually one of those folks who care. And there's moments where, you know, um, I played a huge part in be, like where he could have just stopped because he had these kids that just didn't give a F, right? And then mm-hmm. he stayed with it, and now there's, I'm sure there's a, a person like a, a a teacher, an educator like a Presbolewski out here that because they're teaching and because they're, you know, caring for these kids, that some of the kids, you know, end up making it out, you know what I mean? And I'm, like, watching it, I'm really nervous to watch season four just because I know I'm going to be so emotional watching his, you know, watching him, his arc and, and, and his change, because he and, and man, he played Jim Trufos, really great man. He played such a hell of a role at President mm-hmm. He was such a kind man. Um, because we actually, it's so funny. He even the he his like the real actor had to go through a lot of what like President Lewski went through. I mean, it's hard to be the only male in the room with 40, 50 kids, man. It was <laughs> Jim Trufos, hell, man. I'm sorry, like. <laughs> Just like Presbolewski, like we, oh man, and he t- he stayed with it. <laughs> it, it. It ended up turning out amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, Presbo's such an incredible character because 
of what you just described and there's all these different layers and he evolves um, in so many different ways. And I think that's one of my favorite things about The Wire is that all the characters are so multifaceted in that way. Nobody's Mm -hmm. one note. Nobody is really, um, you know, if you kind of hate them at the beginning, you end up getting a little bit more respect for them over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just Bodhi, it's great. Bodhi is a great example of that too. Well, or I mean, season one when I in Bodhi, I was just like, oh, I hate him. And by <laughs> the end, I, I I love Bodhi's one of my favorite characters. Yeah, he's a smart ass pawn, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh. JD is really a great guy too. He's joined the watch party. Uh, and you know, he's just one of those characters that you want to see win. That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we don't get to, unfortunately, that's what's so tough, but also rewarding about the wire is that the characters that we grow to love, we lose them. And I remember the first time I watched the wire all the way through, I was shocked that we lost D'Angelo in season two, because I was thinking like, this is the main character. Yeah, um, the wire kind of like destabilizes that for the viewer. Yeah, it's funny. I was just saying on the watch party yesterday. I think the difference between the wire and the, and many shows, especially the shows we have out now, is that the wire made the the decisions that needed to be made. David Simon, Ed Burns, Nina Noble, they, they I can imagine they probably decided that we're not going to let the audience. We're not going to let the fans decide who gets to live or die on this show. We're going to let the mm-hmm. story make that decision. And I think that's brilliant because you have to be, you have to take risk as writers and creators, right? You have to be able to say, listen, I, yeah, we made D'Angelo be in every scene during season one, but just the way that he's, the choices he makes, the decisions, the choices mm-hmm. other characters make, he cannot live, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's all the story gets to decide that. The actors don't, right? Because there's some shows that are like, oh, this actor's so amazing. Everybody loves him. We're not gonna, we're too scared to, in a sense, kill him off. And it's like, yeah, but he shouldn't be alive seven, seven seasons later in the world mm-hmm. he's in. It just doesn't mm-hmm. add up like that. Either that or in jail, right? But uh, I think that's what, what they were just... And they took risks every step of the way throughout the series. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you all know that The Wire was almost canceled every season. So in the midst of almost being canceled every every season to say, okay, now season four, we're going to get rid of probably every character uh, that's grown to love. And we're going to make children, four kids be the lead actors for this season. What do you, you, you don't just do that, right? I can't imagine any other show doing something like that. And it worked out. (laughs) And that's what happens when you take risks. That is so true. And I mean, I think it's interesting because our thing is to kind of analyze it as though it were like a gothic novel or, um, you know, some sort of piece of literature when we, that's sort of what we focus on through the podcast. And in the fourth season, they do talk a lot about the Dickensian aspect and then it's brought up again in the fifth season. And I mean, do you think that name and kind of contributed to this sense of like the children as the lead and this sort of um I mean I don't want to say down and out but it's I mean it's not it's not a particularly joyful setting for a lot Mm -hmm. of the youth do you think what do you think Naaman's role was in that 
when you say that the Kinsey aspect, I've never heard that um, saying in which way that what in which way is that? I'm trying to understand the context around it. The Kinsey. So I'll, I'll answer that question. So um, the idea, I guess, of the Dickensian aspect is showing this broad range of socioeconomic status from the richest of the rich to the poorest of the poor and kind of everything in between and um shining a light on some sort of poverty so like Oliver Twist um for instance would be like a Dickensian kind of poverty and so The Wire does the same thing where it's you know you see people that are all the way up the corporate ladder and then you see this terrible poverty in in other situations so do you Mm. feel like it the wire kind of captures that that range in the dickensian way yeah for sure now that now that you break it down for sure i mean naming yeah he was living in the hood but they they lived a whole lot different than the dookies right um And and but the beauty in it is that I don't think that Naaman saw himself as different any step of the way, right? I mm-hmm. think Naaman, as just being a kid, he realized, okay, I have things, right? But I'm not, in a sense, I'm not gonna, f- I mean, use it to my advantage. I think he just had what he had, and I'm sure, you know. If Weebay was in the game for long enough, I mean, the Barksdale organization, especially in real life, made $2 million a, a month, you know, mm-hmm. if probably more. Um, so Weebay was very well off, even even in jail. So mm-hmm. I don't know if Naaman, per se, you know, personally felt the that he was, you know, the the lead of that. But I, I do know that, it, it it's, it's it's relevant, right? It's prevalent. I mean, Dookie has nothing, right? So mm-hmm. it's interesting in the season. I love the fact that it's like these kids have nothing, and you, ex- they show that these teachers and educators expect them to be like the most outstanding citizens at all times, and it's like, but I have nothing, right? And I go mm-hmm. home to nothing, and I I. I'm, there's abuse, there's murder, there's how do you expect me to sit in school for f- eight hours and pay attention, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's just impossible. So I think the the Y did do a, a great job at showing the, the many layers of like poverty and what, what that looks like and also the haves, right? Because we, even within the, the city like Baltimore, there are haves and have nots. And mm-hmm. I think they did a good job at, you know, showing that. Yeah, well, it's like um, you said, Naaman maybe doesn't necessarily feel that as much because Naaman, of the four, he has money to buy ice cream, he mm-hmm. has the better clothes, um, and his mom, Delana, as you pointed out, kind of gets him all the fancy stuff, the necklaces, and, and he has a, a bedroom with video games. And so we know that Naaman is not quite on the same level as some of the other kids, but still part of that crowd and part of that social environment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's, 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 I love the fact that you never, even though Naaman was a jerk and he was a bully at times, especially the Dookie, he never flaunted when he had it. 
Mm-hmm. Like, never, if you notice, he never flaunted the things because I don't think as a kid he looked at these things are better than what you have. I'm sure he, know, I'm sure he figured it out, right? Because there's no way mm-hmm. you can see a kid who clothes smell like piss per mm-hmm. se to what I have. And yeah, he used that against Dookie at times, but I think it was because of his insecurities more so than because I am better than you and I have more than you. I don't think that ever was on his mind. I I think it solely was. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna crack jokes with my friends, and sometimes it may be harsh, but that's our neighborhood, right? It's my insecurities at the same time. I don't. I love the fact that he didn't. He didn't flaunt his his stuff because he knew to them, it. If you had nothing, or if you had something, you, you, you nobody wins, right? Like, and I think that's what the the theme of the series is in entire in its entirety is there are no winners, right? Mm-hmm. One side just loses slowly, slower, right? Yeah, I think that's great. Kind of the loose right? line. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, so the wire being now almost twenty years old, what ways do you find it to be especially still relevant? I mean, Bailey and I go back and we rewatch it all the time, and every time I watch it, I notice something new and fascinating and interesting. But a lot of the themes that carry through. How do you see them at play today? Ah, oh, shit, man. The why is more relevant now than it was <laughs> 16 mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, it's all still it's all still here and it's all still real, right? Politicians are still having ego battles as we can see on who who does uh nothing right uh the education system still is failing uh the drug trade is i'm sure probably still uh as big as it was maybe not as much money per se but it's still i'm you know i still see addicts all through and through new york city where i live right mm-hmm. um I, I i think it's as relevant as it was when it was first made i, I don't do i think the show would have been made in 2020 no because i think there are a lot more people that don't want this narrative to be to be shown in 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 the world but i'm glad we have a piece of art like the wire that we can look back on and it kind of be like it's it's kind of like a part of history right it's, it's in our history books if you you know i don't think that i think if you want to understand the the mind of the drug trade you go watch the wire i mean that's just what it is um and i think that's why people love it because it stands the test of time but um, unfortunately, yeah, it's it's still relevant, and and I think one day maybe someone will you know see. And I, there are a lot of people that are out there on the front lines of the the drug trade, right? The crisis, and because the drug trade is all throughout ev- all of this, right? That was the theme of the entire show: what the drug trade creates, whether it's an addict or even a politician. There's a lot of politicians who made a living off of the drug trade. Um, but I'm. There are a lot of people out there that are still doing their best to kind of combat what's what's being created, and at the same time, I I just wish that there there would be some change made, right? Because I know a lot of friends and family that are still being you know out here victims of the drug trade and of cruel politicians and of you know police that are not trying to do their job; they're just trying to work into their pension right um so hopefully you know there's moments like the you know there's projects like the wire that keep 
teaching the narrative of like, yeah, we got to do better because we're all fucking up as a, as a whole, not just the people that look like the drug dealers and the drug addicts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a way to keep people accountable for their mm-hmm. role. For sure. Okay, well, I think that's all we've got. Kel, is there anything else? Um, no, uh, other than tell us maybe just a little bit about what you've got coming up, what you're working on lately, and anything you want to share uh, with our listeners. Yeah, uh, so I started writing a lot. I started creating a lot of my own productions uh, under my production company, 27 Productions, and uh, I'm, I've been really excited to create content, right? I think way too often... Um, there are actors who sit around and kind of wait for the opportunities. I'm, you know, within these last few years, been trying to create my own. So I wrote a short film and produced a short film that's called God Bless You. It's on YouTube right now. We almost have 2 million views. So I would love it if people went and checked that out. We won a lot of big awards and, you know, a lot of film festivals. Um, So I'm really proud of that project. And now creating a lot more. Um, I wrote a pilot that we're looking to, you know, shoot really soon. Uh, you know, the pilot of a TV series. I wrote some feature films as well. Um, I'm really looking forward to the cre- the creative part of, you know, my next journey. Um, as well as still working on, you know, projects. So I got a lot of, you know, cool projects coming out soon. A lot of, you know, projects that was in the works before, you know, quarantine started. So hopefully once the quarantine is over, um, we can get back to work, but yeah, I'm excited about just like creating there, you know, one thing that the quarantine has given me back, I believe is the, the need to want to create more and more because I see how, uh, needed it is on the planet. Um, so yeah, I'm working on a lot of things. You can follow me at all my social medias is I am Julito, uh, J U L I T O, uh, on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that. Um, and just look out. I think once we get out of this um, pandemic, I think there are going to be a lot of doors that are opening up. Um, I'm working on a lot of music, DJing. That's like a true love of mine. So I do that on my Instagram lives every every now and then. So I'm just trying to really um, create some joy on the planet while we're going through a tough time. And um, oh, there's also people like y'all that are doing such amazing work um, in the podcast world. Um, thank so thank you. you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Well, and we'll definitely include um, the link to God, God Bless You in our show notes and also uh, to your social handles. Great. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much. I'm really I'm excited for tonight, and we're so grateful that you took the time to chat with us today. Yes, yeah, thank, thank you, you so much, Lolita. This is great to have you. Thank you so much, Kelly Bailey. Thank you. I really appreciate you all. Hopefully we get to meet soon and I will see y'all tonight at the watch party. Thank you for everything. Okay. Bye-bye. All right.